Yeah. Hey, we're just going to get into our word now. and We've been uh, looking at Malachi over the last few weeks. And interestingly, this morning as we're talking, um, you know, there's, there's this whole sense of, you know, giving all to Jesus and, you know, serving him. And, and this is very much what we're going to be looking at today. So Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament, um, as we've talked about before, there seemed to be this period of silence but it was a time when the temple had reopened for worship and um, I guess God knew what was going on in the hearts of the people worshipping. So could you imagine that you know, the temple had been closed for a really long time, all of a sudden the doors were open again, sacrifices are starting again and in a way it almost seemed like the people of the day had lost, well they'd certainly lost the purpose of true worship. They were worshipping in a mechanical way and things like that but maybe they'd even forgotten how to worship. Maybe they'd forgotten what it is to actually really worship God, what it really was to offer offerings, what it really was to serve him well. And I just started pondering about that and thinking about um, even the COVID years, you know, that have just recently been. But we see this time, this period of time in our age where from 2019 basically to 2022, which is a reasonably long time, church wasn't the same. It's almost at times that, well, the church did actually close its doors. There are times when the church couldn't even meet. There was times when we'd be like, is church on next week or not? Oh, no, it's closed down this week. Oh, this week it's open, uh, but you have to be vaccinated. This week it's open, but you can only sit in small groups. We can only have a certain amount of people. Whatever the reasons are behind that and what, whether you know, it, it was justified or not, this is the reality of what we went through not here to comment on that but I was thinking about how that sort of does relate to this that in 2019 this church in particular because this is the church I go to had a really quite a good momentum up we were you know we're meeting regularly you know we were growing as a church it was sort of vibrant people were entering into ministry areas people doing stuff and all of a sudden we couldn't even get together it's like this screeching halt, almost as though like, you know, a truck had hit a brick wall and, you know, we had to scramble around. How are we going to do church online? What does it look like? But it came even to the point that we weren't even allowed to visit each other at our houses, right? Again, not whether it's right or wrong, what I'm saying is this is a reality. So amongst all of that, people weren't allowed to connect. Churches we knew at stop, people who had just thought, you know, I'm really in for God had suddenly hit this wall where it was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not allowed to do it anymore, in fact. And if I do it, I might even be fine. There might be consequences for actually meeting together with people. Just think about that for a minute. We are now in 2023. For me, I see this as this amazing opportunity to really kickstart everything again. But as I look around the church... Australia-wide, worldwide, the stories that, that come through um, to me in my position and, and talking with pastors and things like that is just how hard it's been. Not because of COVID, but not even during COVID, even though that was hard, but it's like we've hit this place where there was all this stuff happening, we were gaining momentum, God was moving, but the vision itself dried up because we weren't there together. And in a way, I wonder if we could be challenged today about how we worship God, how we offer 
to God, what it is that, that God might be saying. So, so this week I'll be looking at, at seven different things that God talked about, mainly in regard to how we worship him. What is it that we bring as people to God? What, what is maybe, we won't say requirements, but it is a little bit like that. It's the requirements of God for true worship. Are we actually really worshipping God truly? Or are we a little bit like the Israelites, the Jewish people in the day when, when the prophecy of Malachi was written, that have forgotten how to worship? And, and we've withdrawn back to a selfish way of living. We've withdrawn back to it's all about me and we've forgotten about our God. Is it possible? Let's explore that today as well. So as we go through this, there's, uh, I guess, seven things that, that God was... There's more than seven throughout this book, but the seven things I'm looking at today, complaints with, this, with the self-satisfied people. Remember how we talked last week about their, their response to God's accusations against them? What? How? When? Wherein was the word that was used in the King James? You're saying these things, God, but we can't possibly see that that's true about ourselves. It can't be true. Yet the prophet that was giving this message was giving a message of God to the people. And I would like to hope that today we have our ears open to just hear perhaps God is saying something to me personally. Perhaps something, God is saying something to the church of where he wants it to go. The things, the complaints that we're going to talk about is profanity, uh, sacrilege, greed, weariness in service, uh, the honouring of, of what things are bad or vices, I guess we could say, robbery from God and blasphemy against God himself. Now we could look at those things and, and, and some people would know what those words mean, some might not, it, it doesn't really matter, we'll talk a little bit about them as we go along, but you know, we could look at something like, say, profanity, where everything's bad and, and people are acting bad, but God starting to point out in this that there's something even worse than that. Sacrilege, we, we could think it's when people break into the church and wreck the church, but God in this is saying there's something worse than that. Robbery, where, where someone might come and take money from the offering. God's saying there's actually something worse than that. Blasphemy, where people are speaking against God, you know, and you might see someone openly in the street hating God or on TV or something, and God's saying actually there's a blasphemy worse than that where you're speaking ill of God, that is worse than the person who does not believe in me hating me out on the street. Something worse. So we're going to have a look firstly at uh, verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1. And this word is profanity. In other words, we're, we're doing things that are not honouring and not holy to God. So chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. The Lord... Of the heavens army says to the priest, a son honours his father, a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where are the honour and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. So here we have people bringing... Uh, um, in one version of the Bible, it says polluted bread or, or dirty, dirty offerings to God. 
Offerings that the people would say, we're perfectly satisfied with the type of offering that we're giving. But what it meant was this, that, that when they came to offer the offering, it was as though what they gave itself was dirty. Whether it was or not, I'm not sure. Whether you'd look at that piece of offering and say, that's disgusting, or, or whether there's something else attached to it. Something that polluted it, something that made it profane. Profanity actually means away from the temple. So in other words, when we're talking about profane things, it means that away from the temple, taking what is God's away from the temple, taking what we do away from the temple... And God here is, is looking at the people giving offerings and he's saying this. When you put that offering on the altar, what I'm seeing is something dirty. Why was that? What was happening was in the people that giving that offering, there was no fear and there was no honour. Apart from the outward doing of that act, it was degraded. Why was it degraded? Because of the level of mediocrity that was happening in their lives. Because of the way they were acting outside of the church, the temple at the time, the way their heart was, as they brought an offering to God, it became polluted. In fact, how it was is this, the offering might not have even polluted, it might have been a good offering, but out of that, God was looking at the heart of the person giving. You see, the pureness of the offering is not, not measured by how pure it is that you give, but by the heart of the one giving. The character that is in the person that is giving that offering. The story of Cain and Abel, which we talked about a little while ago. There's two people offering to God. One was Abel, one was Cain. Now, there might be other reasons as we look at the offerings why they might be off or whatever, but this is the bottom line here. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because Abel was righteous. God did not accept Cain's sacrifice to him that day because Cain was unrighteous. In other words, the heart of the person giving was, was indicating to God the pureness of the gift that was given. Abel seemed to be moved by God. He gave the best lamb that he had, came in, in, in time. He gave vegetables or whatever he farmed out of his own gift. It's not because one gave vegetables and one gave a lamb. What happened was that one had a pure heart. One was righteous and one wasn't. And in this case, when we look at these people, we see people bringing gifts and saying, Father, Father. But the very lips that utter that word, Father, are not giving honour. There's those that are giving gifts that are saying, Master. But they were never giving the Master the obedience that he deserved. And I wonder today if we look at our lives in the way that we give, and it may be that today as you look around the Christian church, you see that, that there's a lot of this happening, that, that people are saying, you know, I'm giving a gift to God, but there's no honour in their life. 
that they're walking around living lives that do not honour God in any way. They're saying, Father, here you are, but out of that, out of their lips, there's one word, but out of the, the abundance of their heart is another character that is coming forth. You see, gifts are received according to the giver. The heart of the giver giving. The, the offering that we bring to God is a true expression of the value that we have for him. If it's out of this righteous heart, out of obedience, out of honour, then the offering is acceptable. And we should be very careful about how we give to God. We can't imagine that we're purchasing God's favour by giving him a gift that, that, that he could accept and that, that somehow his favour would come upon us. God receives or rejects the gifts we bring in proportion to the giver. How are we bringing that gift? Now, I would say this, that if we are bringing gifts when we are not living for Christ, that that is more profane, that is more away from the temple than the man in the street who gives nothing to God. That in God's sight, there is something wrong with that. So we start with that, the profanity, the, the away from the temple. And, and I think I love the picture of that. Is it away from the temple? How are you acting? Verse 8, we're now looking at, this is sacrilege. Sacrilege is a violation of what is sacred. What God has called holy, what God has established is the way of doing things. And, and, and we don't honour that. Let's look at that. When you give blind animals a sacrifice, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven, heaven's armies. What we find here is that people have gone away from what God had founded in the Mosaic law. To, to give gifts of value the lamb that was, was meant to be spotless and without blemish. But what had happened, the men, the people, giving offerings at this time had lost the sense of worship in their offerings. So first of all, we had the heart, but then what about the worship? And they were keeping the best for themselves. They were saying, I'm going to keep the best for myself and what I bring to the altar is not going to be my best. But I tell you what, what it does is give the impression that I am, am doing something for God, that I'm keeping up the appearances. And God, in the message that is brought in Malachi, brings the people to account for the display of this. And in fact, he says quite sarcastically through the prophet, you just try giving that to your governor. Here you are bringing all these gifts to me and, and you're bringing lambs that are blind and animals that are, are malformed and, and you're saying, God, here it is. They're saying, would you give that to your king? Would you give that to your governor, the person that rules over you? What would they say? Why was God so offended with that type of giving? Because God always values offering by the cost to the person bringing it, not its intrinsic worth. We heard the story that 
that was just given to us a little while ago by Ricky and, and he read out the scripture about the, the woman in the treasury, the, the widow that had two mites and she popped them in. Interestingly, as Jesus talked about that, obviously the rich people would have put in massive gifts. And there was more than one gift going in, Jesus looking on. And he looked at that widow and said, she gave more than all of them. He wasn't saying she gave more than one of those people. He was saying that every gift combined today that was brought into the treasury, I looked at it. And then this woman got up with two mites, which I think Ricky said was worth a penny, and she gave it all. She gave everything she had. God does not thank you for the gifts that cost you nothing. The widow herself, she would have missed some meals for that. It was everything she had. And so in the eyes of God, when he looks at our giving too, he looks at it and he goes, something about sacrifice. And when we learn to sacrifice to God, it reveals that we are not serving for favour from God. But we are estimating God to be worth the sacrifice. It is not going into church and putting something on the plate. But it's when our offering is honouring to God. Sacrilege is centred in offering something to God that you can afford to lose. There's nothing in it for you. No cost, no giving that hurts. And I'd have to say today that there is beautiful sacrificial giving in the church, but there seems to be within the church a whole lot of this other giving, the sacrilegious giving. Giving gifts at the altar that cost you absolutely nothing. When we do that, if we give something that we don't need, that's in excess of what we need, God's just looking at that and saying, there is no sacrifice in that. In fact, I would almost say the other way around, that often we will sacrifice God at our feet instead of sacrificing ourselves at his. If there's a choice to make, if there's a time when we are looking at life and we're, we're weighing everything up, whether it's in, in our time, our talents, our treasure, whatever it is, that so often we have this choice, will I serve God or will I serve myself? So often we grab the things of God and we place them at the altar of self. That I am now exalted and I'm willing to sacrifice the things of God, the service to God, the giving to God for my own benefit. That I do not honour him the way that he should be honoured. And people, it is so important that we understand that as a church. Have a look what's happening in Alice Springs. Have a look what's happening in Catherine. Have a look what's happening in Darwin. You see, there's a lot of brokenness and trouble and, and the worst thing that we could ever think of is that the church disappear because the people of God are not giving to the cause of Christ. Because the only answer really is the change of heart which only comes really through Jesus Christ. Through his presence on the earth, through the presence of the church in a community where, where God's love can flow, where people can be built up in the things of Christ, where they can know him fully. We do not want to see the church disappear because the people of God have forgotten what it is to actually honour him with their lives. 
You see, I love it that, you know, I was talking to some people yesterday and they said, we love, we, we love your church, we love the vibrancy of your church. It would be such a shame if your church disappeared. God's church is a light in this world. Let's have a look at verse 10 of chapter 1. So I put this here in the King James Version because it, it sort of reads a little bit differently. And the accusation that God is making here is something that we need to consider. Who is there, even among you, that would shut the doors for nothing or naught? Neither do you kindle fire on my altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, neither will I accept an offering at your hand. What's that saying? People, priests, would not do anything unless there was something in it for them. The idea here is that, you know, if there's a fire need to be lit for a sacrifice or if the door needed to be closed for a reason or something in service to God, if there's nothing in it for me, I'm not doing it. And this is something for us to ponder on. This is a question, and more than a commentary on this, but that's a question. Who is there, God's saying? Who is there? Why do we do God's service? Is there a hope of reward for us? And that's the only reason we do it. Even if it's a future reward, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get repaid. But the service that we should be offering to God, true worship, is this, that we serve him because the love of him. Because we love him. Because we love him. And our service is there in that. It's an abandonment of ourselves. It's the putting of all of us, like I said before, at the feet of Jesus. And when this point is reached in our offering, so we're sort of going through a few steps here, it's gone from, you know, you're, you're unclean to you're purposely putting something less than acceptable on the altar by putting lame animals there and blind animals there. You're not giving your best to me to now... If you do give to me, you want reward. It comes down to greed. So it's gone from that. And then, even worse than that, we're going to look at the next verse, verse 13. It goes to a weariness in serving God. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. You turn up your noses at my command, says the Lord of Heaven's army. Think of it. Animals that are stolen... And crippled and sick of being presented as offerings, should I accept you accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Obviously, at the end, it's saying about the the crippled animals again. But but what's the first words in that saying? You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. So now, through through the lack of of worshiping God properly by by living a life outside of his will for you in disobedience by offering not your best to him by actually wanting from him if you do give it's gone to this a weariness a degradation of your soul itself i can tell you right now if you're looking reward looking for reward from serving god you will soon grow weary If you are putting forth, seeking the kingdom for, for your own sake, sorry, if you are 
are serving the kingdom for its own sake, for the sake of the kingdom, you will never complain of fatigue. Is that true, Neil? Yeah. Sometimes you'll be tired. Sometimes you might even be discouraged. Sometimes you might be even exhausted. But the soul of the person who serves God for the kingdom's sake only, for no reward but from love, are in a place of spiritual worship to God. They're not trying to please the sensual side of themselves, but they're worshipping and serving God just for his sake. It's not a demand. It's not a demand on you that you need to help, you need to serve, you need to give, you need to whatever it might be, you need to obey, but in your heart there's something that's changed. A real worship of God that's not demanded. (coughs) But it's from your very own soul. And your soul feeds on that. It becomes alive. It becomes, I don't know, wrapped around in enjoyment, the things when you serve God like that. And this is very serious. This is very serious, guys. When we become tired of serving God, Meditating on the things of God, there is a deep fault within our hearts, as if an earthquake has come through and rent that connection that should be there with God. We need to relinquish this. We need to make sure that we don't do things just for the sake of keeping up appearances, but when we serve God, there is this heart of worship behind it. And look at chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? What's this mean? Would you say that we would love in our idea of God to be loved that he overlooks every sin? that he doesn't care how we act, that evil is actually good, that it doesn't matter how evil we are, God is pleased with you. We fool ourselves to think that God is always pleased with what we do. Does he love us always? Yes, he does. But God has a standard and he doesn't pass lightly over sin. In fact, if God excused my sin all the time, he would never really love me. As Christians, we have to understand that it's not just the fire of God we need, and we also need the consolation, but but working in that is this, that God wants our obedience to him. (coughs) Sorry, Joey, could I get some water? What are we up to? Robbing God. Chapter 3, verse 8. In our worship, so what am I trying to do here today? I'm trying to just get our hearts focused on him. Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? 
But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Now I know people often habitually telling us God demanded a tithe and maybe this is a true position. But when God gave this law to his people, it wasn't like to set a limit, you know, to say this is what you should do and you've got to live up to that. Basically God was saying the tithe is the minimum of, of showing your love for me. Keep listening. What was wrong with the way they were giving tithes and offerings? So I'm pretty sure they were still bringing their tithe, but God was saying that you're responding in the wrong way. There's a carelessness in your giving that so I will give a tithe and that's it. I've met my obligations of what I should be doing. And they have robbed God here by not responding to the divine claim in the Spirit. That was the rule of God, the Spirit of love. So here we have a, a law set up for the Jews. You come, you bring the tithe to the temple, but what about us today? What's the divine claim, the claim of God in our lives as Christian we're giving? I don't think that God is necessarily asking you for a tithe. I wouldn't preach it that you have to give it. You may give a tithe of your income, and that might be a correct thing. There's instances where it's right, but then the reverse is true, and we need to think about that. You see, in the church, there's people of different means, isn't there? There's some with plenty, there's some with little, there's some like the widow, and there's some like the rich man that were giving those offerings. And some people have no business getting a tithe to the Lord because they just can simply not afford it. Their income isn't big enough. They can't cover it. And so they end up going broke if they give a tithe. I understand the point of faith in that and we'll be talking about that another week. But I remember when I was young, tithing, 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 and my overdraft kept going down, 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 and it hit a limit. I couldn't even tithe anymore because of circumstance. Do I think God was saying you need to tithe regardless? Looking back, I don't think so. So there's some people where it's like the tithe is actually really hard, but they want to give something sacrificially. And we talked already about that, that there's this sacrifice, and they're saying, you know, I don't have much, but what I'm going to give, I'm going to give. This is actually costing me. And guess what? There's other people where 10% is really not an offering to God at all. Their income is high. And they're robbing God by only giving a tithe. The poor man might not have the means. The rich man has more than enough. Which person gives the most? It's up to us to work out in our attitude. Where is our attitude in this? Where is our heart in this giving? Are you giving, even if you're a tither, even if you've got a lot of money and you give 10%, are you giving out of your abundance things that you won't miss? Or are you actually giving to God what he's asking for? And we don't want people to be giving if it's going to put them in the danger of being dishonest, of doing things dishonest because they need more money. And I don't believe on insisting on a tithe because God's claim under the new covenant is everything belongs to him. Everything. 
Every coin used selfishly by us is robbery in this dispensation of Christianity. But if people listen to God this way, the church itself would never be compelled to go out and seek grants, to get money off other people from other means for God's work. There is far more than enough to meet every need in this house, in the, in the churches of God, if people grabbed hold of this. We should never lack for anything here, especially in this country. A minister should never have to beg his congregation for money. It's dishonouring. And it's also unnecessary where we are. People, listen to what God is saying. When you do not give to him in the way that he wants to give, he's saying, you are robbing me. You're actually taking it from me. Our last one, verse 13 and 14 of chapter 3. You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? You've said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or trying to show the Lord of heaven's army that we are sorry for our sins? That there is called blasphemy. What's blasphemy? Like We think blasphemy is something against God, and it can be. But the actual meaning of the, the word blasphemy, blasphemy is to speak words against someone. Now, I doubt very much that a Christian would necessarily say something bad against God. So what's he saying here? The question that these people were saying was, why should we serve God? Why should we obey God? doesn't matter, the evil people are better off. What do you think that worse than saying this might be? Those who claim to be Christians but misrepresent God to the world around them. You see, open blasphemer will just say things against God it's far less dangerous than the person who says, I love God, I honour God, I serve God, who clearly lives a life outside what he wants for them. The Bible talks about us offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So in other words, we have a lot of people that will say, yeah, I'm in the kingdom, but they deny, as we've talked about last week, the power of God within, the transformative power of Jesus Christ in their life. I'm a Christian, but they do more damage to the cause of Christ than someone who openly hates God. They are people who have become powerless, because they are not acting on the word of God. And I guess that last offering really that we talked about there is self, to say, you know what, I am going to deny myself, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to make sure that I do not blaspheme against God by, by living a way that is opposite to how he says to live. This is a pretty heavy book, Malachi, really, when you get down to it. 
Why is it so heavy? Because it is directly challenging us about our relationship to God, our relationship to serving, our relationship to worshipping, our relationship to giving, our relationship to him in terms of, are you really my father? Are you really my master? And I understand that. This is hard for us to hear at times, but I want to make sure that we're not like the people that we're reading about that say, well, how God? I'm awesome. I'm doing everything you want. But I want us to get this, that this character needs to be formed and it needs to be true in the sight of God. Are we really people of God? Are we really followers of Christ or if we, we just nailed Jesus to the cross again and again by the way we act now while this is heavy as we go through this book there's going to be an awesome end to this because it gives such positive beautiful words about the future with God but this morning, our job is to just have a little bit of a reflection. And you know what? Sometimes it's good to do that, just to be in a quiet place, reflect. Please read through this book as we're going through it. Read through it every week, once a week. See what God is saying to your heart. It could be good medicine for us. Now, I just want to pray for us as a congregation, but also I want to pray, perhaps you've never received Christ. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to just invite him into your life. Let's Jesus come in. The first step is to believe in Jesus. The communion message painted a picture of you, for you, sorry. Jesus died for your sin so that you can live with him forever. First step, you need him. You can't get right, then get Jesus. You get Jesus, then get right. That's how it works. So if that's you this morning, I just want to pray. Pray with me and ask him in. And then I want you to just talk to your friend, a family member you came with, um, someone next to you, me up the front, if you're not with anyone, and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer with you. We'll just pray now. Father God, I'm sorry for my sin. I just ask that you'll forgive me. I know I need you in my life. It's such a mess. I want things turned around. I thank you, Jesus forgave my sin on that cross, that you forgave my sin through his blood. And Lord, I thank you that I can live again for you, that my old life can be over as the new life begins. Come and fill me now, I pray. From this day on, I want to live for you in Jesus' name. Okay, church, we've got a bit of thinking this week just about those things, I'm sure. As we go into our last song, how about we just take a moment to reflect on those things as we're singing, you know, like how is your worship of God? Are you, are you bringing things when really you're defiling? You're saying, oh, I don't have to be right to give. I just give to God. Are you bringing what you have that's not your best you know and we've got a history of that in the church of people dumping their rubbish to the church in lots of different areas um, are you speaking against God you're not honoring him are you robbing God what is it that that in your life God's saying pointing out today 
Let's stand, just worship him. Let our hearts just flow into his love as his spirit comes and fills this place and as Christ comes and dwells amongst us.